Well, please open up Scripture to Genesis chapter 8. Al and his family are on a needed vacation this morning, so they are not here. Neither is our new intern, David Bush. He's also with them as family. It's been great to have him on board for a few weeks. We're already seeing the impact, and we're just thrilled what God is doing as a team. But for today, it's me, and I have the privilege to address you from our ongoing series in Genesis entitled Beginnings. So let's turn there and prepare to read God's word this morning, starting with chapter 8 of Genesis, verse 1. We're going to go through verse 19. The title of today's message, New Beginnings, Genesis 8, 1 through 19. Let us, church, hear the word of God. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens were restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. In the six hundred and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves in the earth, went out by families from the ark. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are here this morning. And that's a big deal. You got us up this morning. You gave us breath, and we're here. But Lord, we don't want to just be present. 
we want to be here to actively receive by faith what you have for us through your word and by your spirit. So Lord, would you reveal yourself to us this morning? Spirits, have your way. Increase our faith in the unseen present, in the unknown future, that we would trust you, willing even to wait upon you and your promises, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we started off with this phrase, and God remembered Noah. That was the sermon that Al preached last week from Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. And those are the reassuring words which we left off with and which we begin with this week. God was not going to leave Noah and his family hanging. Or may we say he was not going to leave he and his family and the animals floating. Floating on 197 million square feet of earth. He was not going to let these floodwaters be their watery grave. God was going to deliver them to dry ground once again. But while God remembered Noah, and this is what really got me this week, their situation in the ark did not immediately change. I mean, think about it. They were still encased in this rudderless, engineless, nearly windowless ark. Wholly dependent on the mercy and covenant promises of God. And within that wooden battleship, there was undoubtedly a battle of faith going on. And it came from waiting. I think you know that battle, don't you? The battle to wait. The fight to wait. And here in chapter 8 and in our narrative, our story slows down even more, further, as if to capture the very faith and wait required by Noah and his crew. We just read this passage. Don't miss the painstaking patience, just the numbering of days that we read again and again. Church, don't miss the waiting. But don't miss this as well. In the midst of the waiting, oh, God, God is working. And he's doing something truly glorious. God is refashioning a home and a habitat for his people and his creatures to live and, yes, to thrive. God was beginning again. For as we learn our story today, we'll put it up on the screen for you. It's simple. As Noah was waiting, God was recreating. As Noah was waiting, God was recreating. And for the God who creates, next slide there, Genesis 1, is the God who recreates all by his redeeming grace. Church, may this simple truth, simple but profound truth, ignite our faith this morning. Yes, even in the waiting, even when we can't see all that God is doing. Why? Knowing God is at work. Let's go to point one, Noah's waiting. You know, it's all too easy to read this narrative somewhat impassively, isn't it? You know, it's a mere chronology of events. After all, we the reader, you know, we get the luxury. We know how it ends, right? You've read the story. We know Noah's Ark. But we even get the advantage 
of hearing God's commentary on this whole event. We heard it last week, chapter 8, verse 1, right? Moses, writing on the inspiration of the Spirit, says it plainly. But God remembered Noah. But here's the question that I have when I read that. Did God receive that same verbal consolation and encouragement when he was in the ark? Did he hear those words? If he did, we have no record of it. Oh, we read in verses 2 through 4 that the rain and the geysers from a blow were stopped. That is, God closed them, right? But it wasn't until the end of 150 days. Do your math there. Five months. (laughs) Man, that was slow, wasn't it? That's sad. Five months later, that the ark rested on land on the mountains of Ararat, somewhere in Turkey, eastern Turkey, Armenia, maybe even Iran. We don't know for sure. Five months. Five months of being on the high seas, rocking, jolting, swaying. Any of you get seasick? I know I do. I mean, I go out in the Keys, just go to a mile off the Keys. I'm not 20 minutes into it. I'm like, throw me overboard (laughs) that I can feed the fish, okay? I'm done with this boat. That's a 20 minutes. Five months in this ark, in the floodwaters, rocking and swaying. And then finally, this ark, this huge battleship, comes to rest on the mountains of Ararat. What a glorious day that must have been. But catch this, it wasn't yet time to disembark. (laughs) Far from it. From the dating of the story, we know that Noah had over seven months remaining in the ark. I'm doing my math right. Do you realize that the inhabitants in the ark spent more time on land than they did on water once the ark rested on those mountaintops? Seven plus months of waiting, stuck, going nowhere, landed but not able to disembark. Have you ever flown on an airplane and arrived at your destination? I mean, you're just, you're excited to be there. Maybe you're coming home. You get there, you guess what? There's no gates available. What do you do? You just sit on that tarmac waiting for a gate to open up. Those are the longest minutes of my life, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's just a few minutes, maybe an hour at best. Seven months of waiting. But at least on an airplane, you can look out the window, right? You got this little window, right? Open up the shade and at least you can survey what's happening out there. Any, any planes moving? Any gates opening up? Any activity at all? But how about Noah? How about his family in the ark? Could they see? Did they know what's going on? I propose to you they did not know what's going on. Why? Let's think about it. It's very likely that Noah could not see anything from inside the ark. That's why Noah sent a raven. Now, it does say Noah opened a window of the ark. Most likely, this window was an opening or perhaps a slit of an opening near the roof. But I believe Noah probably couldn't see anything. That's why he sent a raven and then a dove. Why did he send them? Well, it says in verse 8, look at it. To see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. 
Simply put, Noah sends the birds because he cannot see himself what is happening. He sends a raven first, presumably because ravens are stronger flyers and say doves. And well, ravens, they feed off carrion, carcasses. They feed off dead things. You know for sure there was a lot of dead things at this time, okay? For a flood had just occurred. And then he sends out a dove, a dove who eats insects, i.e. living things, to see if there were any signs of life. Why? Because Noah wanted to get off that dank, dark, and humid ark. Kind of like you may want to get out of this auditorium right now, okay? Hold on, it's coming, I'm going to get you there, okay? This is good. This is what they encountered as they waited. I can't help, though, but cringe. You know, I think it got a little bad here, a little humid. I'm sweating here. You know, but listen to this. Listen to the words of John Calvin. I just love this quote. He's speaking of the awful conditions on the smelly ark. Let's just, if we can, just, just for a moment, use our sanctified imagination, okay? He says, For the smell of the dung alone, pent up as it was in a closely filled place, might at the expiration of three days, have stifled all the living creatures in the ark. I love this next phrase. Let us reflect on these conflicts of the holy man, i.e. Noah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, let us reflect on the conditions of the ark living in an oversized outhouse. Let's reflect on that, okay, shall we? Yeah. We've got to be real here, don't we? When he ended this narrative, what's going on? And so Noah waited. But let's reflect as well on verses 9 through 11. Just take a look at there. We read this starting in verse 9 of chapter 8. But the dove, who he sent out, found no place to set her foot. And she returned to him to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited, there's that word, another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. Okay, first of all, I think many of us, just put yourself in Noah's shoes or sandals, all right? I mean, you send out the dove, the dove comes back. I don't know about you, I'd be a little tempted at that point, okay? I'd be a little unnerved, I'd just be, okay, I'd just be angry, I admit it, you know? I think I'd be tempted to be angry at God as well. What in the world is going on? But, but look at Noah. He gently, humbly takes the dove back and patiently waits another seven days before sending it out again. Then pick it up at verse 11. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove and she did not return to him anymore. By God's grace, the dove, the second time, returns with an olive leaf or olive branch. So what's going on here? This is, is not just a sign of life. Oh, the olive branch is. But catch this. It's also a signal that at the lower elevations where olive trees grow, there's life. It's dry again. It's time. It's time. I mean, what I, I just can't help but think of it. The dove comes back. I'm thinking, yes, 
life. I'm like, boys, pop the roof, get on the skis. We're getting out of here, man. We're going down. Freedom, you know? I'm ready. What are we all? By the way, remember that Noah was perched on an ark, probably about 17,000 feet of elevation, okay, up in the mountains. That's why I said the skis. I don't know if there was snow up there or what's going on, but he was high up, okay? And the smell didn't kill him. Just the altitude's sickness and lack of oxygen may have as well. So the roof comes off of the ark. By the way, what a fitting birthday present. On Noah's birthday, his 600th, 601st year, the ark roof comes off. But I wondered if it seemed like a tease. For he goes nowhere for almost two months after that. Why? And once it's a simple, because God had not told him to leave. Amazing. And then in verse 14, in the second month, the 27th day of the month, a little more than one year from the time that they entered the ark, God speaks. We have no record of God speaking from the time he told Noah to enter the ark until the time that he told him to exit the ark. One full year of silence. Yet Noah waits for God's word. Once again, to quote John Calvin here. Thus we see, up on the screen as well, that by a continual course of faith, the holy man, that's Noah, was obedient to God because he chose rather to lie in a tainted atmosphere than to breathe the free air until he should feel assured that his removal would be pleasing to God. Wow. Friends, can you say the same? Can I say the same? Church, that's faith. That's faith worked out in obedience. It's faith worked out in waiting. May I suggest that it took just as much faith to remain in the ark as it did to enter the ark, at least once they knew that the ground had dried. To say that Noah was waiting isn't to say he's just biding his time passively. No, we have every reason to believe that Noah lived in full and eager anticipation of the day when he would step off that ark onto the dry ground ground, excuse me, feel the fresh breezes. Oh yeah, feel the fresh breezes right over here. Feel the fresh breezes. And and, and the fertile soil between his fingertips. The day when he would once again, quote unquote, walk with God in the new creation. I mention all this just to bring out this morning, just the faith of Noah, the righteous faith, faith and obedience of Noah. And church, it's worthy of immolation. That's why I believe this point is brought out again and again in this narrative, starting from the very beginning in chapter 6. It's why Noah is mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11. This is an example to follow. But I want to be clear. There's no virtue in waiting unless there is someone or something better to wait for. And that someone is God. And that something was a new earth which God was fashioning for Noah, his family, 
and preserve remnants. And that leads to point two. While Noah was waiting, oh yeah, God was recreating. God is at work and he's in control from the beginning to end in this whole story, let alone chapter eight. This is not some distant God. God is not just there waiting for things to play out. Even, or perhaps even worse, he's not like some Babylonian God in those ancient flood myths maybe you read in school. You know, they're panicking. What am I going to do? Oh no, I wiped out the earth. Oh, what a mistake. That's not the God that we see here. Far from it. This story is structured very purposely to convey this point. The God who created the earth, i.e. in Genesis 1, is the same God who is now recreating the earth, i.e. Genesis 8, all by his grace. So I want to go back to the story and I want to look at what's happening with a God-word perspective, okay? We're told back in verse 1 of chapter 8. And God made, what? A wind to blow over the earth, and the water subsided. Now, sure, face value, God probably used that wind to dry out the earth, like we're using these fans, okay, in the hallways to dry out the condensation and humidity, okay? Certainly, God was doing that. And we read the water subsided. But catch this, something else is happening too. Something else is being communicated in this verse one. As some of you know, the Hebrew word, ruach, can be translated as spirit or wind. Either one. Do you remember the creation account? Genesis chapter one, verse two. We're told at the very beginning, quote, the spirit of God or it could be translated, the wind, some of your translations may have that, was hovering over the face of the waters. Church, that's exactly what's happening here. God remembered Noah and made a wind to blow, or you could say hover, over the earth. In other words, God remembered Noah and his covenant promise and was beginning the process of recreating that which he destroyed or submerged in the flood that through the flood of judgment and chaos, God's recreative, restorative, redeeming grace is at work once again. And it will not fail. And it will not fail. Notice the rain doesn't just stop, does it? No, it's God who in verse two, look at that, closes the portals of the flood water. I love this verbiage, and restrains the rain. Restrains the rain. I mean, who's in control here? And when the rain clears, what happens? The rain clears and the sky appears, as it did in day two of creation. On the third day of creation, we learned that the land, dry land, appeared. That's exactly what we see here in chapter 8, verse 5. The waters abate, and what happens? The tops of the mountains were seen. On the fifth day of creation, God created the winged bird, blessed them, and said, let the birds multiply on the earth. And it's right here in our text this morning where we find the raven and the dove released upon the earth. And then on the sixth day of creation, we're told that God said, quote, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, and creeping things 
and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Does that sound familiar? Look at Genesis 8, verse 17. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Why are they to be brought out of the ark, church? To fulfill God's original intention, that they may swarm the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. Verse 17. And so we reach out, we reach our final two verses. I love them for the simplicity, power-packed simplicity. Verse 18. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. In other words, all were saved in the ark. Not one was lost. Those who entered the ark came out of the ark and they came out to a new beginning all by God's grace. And at a few verses later, which we'll cover next week, God reconfirms his mandate, first given to Adam and to Eve. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God is not done with his creation and his creation purposes have not failed. The God who creates is the God who recreates all by his redeeming grace. Friends, what a story. What an ending. But what in the world does this story have to do with you and me? Church, we have to connect the dots. As mentioned, I think we have a lot to learn in this story as we study Noah's faith. But I don't want you to miss the bigger redemptive picture here. And it's a story of God's amazing redeeming grace. If you're here this morning and you are in Christ, do you understand that this is your story as well? This is your story of God's amazing and outrageous grace. This story is personal and ought to be personal, Christian. You know what? If you've been baptized, it's your baptism by immersion which tells this very story we've just read. It's what we learned when we went through the book. It was the last year we preached through the book of 1 Peter. And I want to read something to you. You don't, you don't have to turn there. There's a lot going on in this passage, but this much is clear. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. Peter says, quote, eight persons, he's speaking of Noah and his wife and his sons and wives, were brought safely through water, the flood, right? And then we hear this key phrase in verse 21 of 1 Peter 3, baptism, which corresponds to this corresponds to this. What is this? It's the story and experience of Noah and his family who entered the ark, went through the floodwaters of judgment, and were brought safely onto dry ground. If you're here and you've placed your saving faith in Christ, you have passed through the waters of judgment because Christ, the ark, took the beating, took the bashing, took the lashing of God's wrath upon himself. How did he do it? Upon the cross for your rebellion and for your sin. 
But if you're here this morning and you have not placed your saving faith in Christ, please understand, this is not your story. It's not. There is no other ark by which you may be saved. There is no other Savior. Like those who are baptized, you will go down into the water of judgment on your day of reckoning. But you won't come up. There is no new life. There is no new creation for you. Only death and eternal judgment. I realize that's a hard truth to face. But listen, preaching Noah's Ark at one's funeral, at your funeral, will do no good. It is too late if you have not believed. So if you're here and this is not your story, oh, I pray that it would be your story. I pray that you would take refuge in Christ for your sin and your rebellion against a holy God. I pray this morning there would be someone who'd repent and believe. And you know what? Would be baptized next Sunday. No, next Sunday, as mentioned in the announcements, we'll be having baptisms here at Palm Vista. We'll be baptizing one or two individuals who can testify that they have placed their saving faith in Christ, the ark of their salvation. And they'll be immersed in water. In the act of baptism, they'll go down into the waters of judgment and they'll rise again to new life in Christ. They'll be wet as they come back up. They'll have a smile on their face, maybe a little shock if the water's cold. They'll stand there having been delivered from death. And let me be clear, baptism doesn't save someone. It does not. But it testifies to the fact that God, what God has done in saving them. And this will be acted out next Sunday. It's acted out. And we get around, we join in, we celebrate. Why? It reminds us of what we've gone through in Christ. That we have gone through the waters of judgment to new life in Christ. It's what the story does for us this morning, Christian, as well. But that won't be the end, right? We baptize, you go home. Those who are baptized will eventually go home to live out their life as well. The life, the new life they have been given. You see the story of the flood? Listen, it's not just a story of rescue, it's that. But it's also a story of restoration, of recreation, as we've established this morning as well. Listen, just as God called Noah, his family, and the residents of that ark into the ark, so he also calls them out of the ark, into the new home, which he has prepared for them. This is a story of hope. And it tells us that God is not done with his creation. He's not done with you, O Christian. I've been reading through the Old Testament in my personal devotional time and just recently went to the book, The Prophet Joel. And in it, we find this amazing promise given to God's people. Joel chapter 2, verse 25. We read, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. Do you know who brought the devastating 
ravaging insects upon the Israelites in the first place? It was God. The same one who brought the flood brought the locusts as well. And yet God says, according to his covenant promise, I will restore the very years, the very losses you have bore that you thought could never, ever be regained. I just thought for some of you this morning, God isn't done with you. And you need to hear that. Perhaps you look around at things in your life that you've done, the poor choices you've made, the devastating effects it's had on your family, your career, your finances, or your witness, or just the personal losses that you've endured. Maybe your own children, estranged relationships, and you've looked at the losses that you've endured, and you said, God could never restore that. Do you know who we're talking about here? That feels good. Do do you know who we're talking about here? The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who creates and the one who recreates and makes all things new. Church, there are times in your life where you just gotta talk to yourself, okay? You gotta give yourself some good counsel, all right? I don't mean just murmur it. There's times where there's fiery darts of the enemies, right? They're coming after you. And there's times you gotta say, do you know who we're talking about here? You gotta go to scripture. By the way, you gotta be verbal at times. That's what we sing, right? We don't just mouth the words, we sing it. We're reminding ourselves of the truth, what is true, we know to be true. But we need to hear it again. Do you know who we're talking about here? God, the God revealed in scripture, the God who creates and recreates, a God who can reconstore. He is able. Oh, he is able, church. I don't know how. I don't even know when. I don't even know if I'll be in this life. I know what will one day be fully and completely when he returns. But God, he's able to bring the locust and break the flood. And he's able to wipe out everything you and I know and then bring back an olive branch, an olive leaf in the mouth of a dove and give us new life. Friends, reach out. Reach out. Just grab that olive branch, that olive leaf today. Find peace. Find rest in our Lord and Savior. You know, Noah's name means rest. He is one who found rest in God. May you find that same rest and that same peace this morning. Let me tell you, the wait and the fight is worth it. Christ cares, yeah, and he's returning. And he's in the business of making all things new. For the God who creates is the God who recreates all by his redeeming grace. Church, let us sing now. Band, come back up. Let's sing that last song if we could. And let's sing about this redeeming grace. Once again, we're singing to God. We're also singing to one another, church, right? We're saying, do you know who we're talking about here? The God as revealed in this story, Yahweh, God with us, right? That's who we're speaking about this morning, our creator and our redeemer. So let us sing it. Let us sing it loud. Let us God work in our hearts 
and deepen our convictions and our faith as we sing. May he minister now by his spirit. He is present. Let us stand.